Good morning. Uh, as as Brennan just said, my name's Jeremiah. Uh, I'm the intern here along with Travis Carr. We've been here for about two and a half months. Two weeks from today, actually, I leave. I go back to school. I'm at the Master's College. Uh, I'm going to be uh, going in my, my last year there. I'm a biblical studies major. Um, and so, as, as I said, I'm a youth intern, so I've been going through, through the book of Colossians with, with the, the youth, um, just preaching through the book. I've loved it here. I've learned a lot. Um, the people here are great, and, and just thank you so much for, for welcoming me and giving me this opportunity, honestly. Um, I never thought uh, I would be up here at such a young age, um, and it's just, it's very humbling, and, and it's kind of crazy in honesty. So if you want to open to the book of Colossians, like I said, we'll be going through that today. First uh, Colossians, not first Colossians. I always say first Colossians. I don't know why. I've been doing that all summer. I love the books of first and second Corinthians, but unfortunately those are not what I'll be going through today. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20 is where we find ourselves today. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. You've seen it done before. Different chants different songs, different speeches, different things that, that motivate people. We as human beings, we get, we, we get um, unmotivated to mow the lawn or to uh, wake up in the morning sometimes. So we, have, we go to these conferences and all these things and somebody gets up there with a microphone and, and tells you this great speech and maybe tells you a great story in order to motivate you to love your wife more, to love your kids more, to love the church more, or to serve more, or do whatever. Or, um, you know, you've seen it done in sports. I remember as a high school wrestler, I used to do some weird things to motivate myself. Um, I would put my hood up and listen to my music and just kind of walk back and forth, walk back and forth. And then once I got on the mat, I would slap my legs as hard as I could. Why? I don't, I don't know why I did it. I saw somebody else do it, so I was like, I'm going to do that. It's going to make me motivated. I'd go out on the map. I'd be all pumped up. I'd, I'd be all pumped and ready to wrestle. And then next thing I know, I'm on the mat pinned and I'd lose, and that's okay. As believers, uh, we need motivation. We need motivation. As I was talking to Jeff, who's, who's, the fam, um, who's the dad of the family I live with, he's like, it's your job to, to um, make it stick. He's like, sometimes I'm driving home and, and I already forget what, what the pastor said. What makes it stick? There's a lot of commands in, in Scripture. Even in the book of Colossians, if you look at, read through the letter, uh, Paul tells us to continue in the faith, in the faith to walk in him to seek the things that are above, to put to death what is earthly in you. He says, do not lie. Put on a new self. Forgive one another. Put on love. Be thankful. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. All these things Paul is telling us to do. He says in Colossians 2.8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see the, the Colossians, the people in Colossae, there were false teachers there. They're trying to pull the Colossian believers away from, away from the goodness of the gospel, away from Christ and all that he's done. They're saying, you need, it's Christ plus this, Christ plus that, Christ plus this teaching, this philosophy, uh, this asceticism or, or false humility. And Paul wants to remind the Colossians, and it's my goal to remind you today, it's just Christ. It's just Christ. We just sang it. I forgot my notes. I'm going to grab them real quick. Not my notes, just I wrote the lyrics to the song. 
He says, your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table. What is our response to that? Look with me at Colossians 1, 12 through 14. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. But who is the son? Who is Christ? That's what I want to talk about today. If you read wrong with me, it's Colossians chapter 15, or not chapter, verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Christian life is not a checklist. It's not, oh, I went to church today. Oh, I gave, I put money in the offering. It's, um, I was, I love my wife, you know, or I, I obeyed, um, you know, the teachings of scripture, or I, I, was nice to my kids, or nice to the lady who packed my groceries at the grocery store. It's not a checklist. If it was a checklist, we would all burn out. We would burn out. In ministry, people burn out all the time, and it's very sad. Um, but we have to, as, as I love what 2 Timothy 2.8 says. Paul says this. He's reminding Timothy. He says, remember Jesus. Paul's writing his last letter. He wants to, to remind Timothy to remember Jesus. And oftentimes in, in, in our circles and, and out in the world, this view of who Jesus is is, is oftentimes distorted. He's a nice guy or he's a great teacher or he's, um, you know, good looking. We see the pictures of a, of a blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. What does scripture say? What is Colossians? One of the greatest Christologies in the entire New Testament. What does that have to say? What does Paul want to say about Jesus to remind the Colossians that it's not about these teachings. It's not about the cares of the world. It's, it's about Christ. Verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. He's, he's Emmanuel. He's, he's God with us. He came in, in the flesh and lived among us. He is the image of the invisible God. There is, there is um, I love what Hebrews 1.3 says. He, is, he says, it is, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact copy of who God is. The invisible God, we cannot see him, humbled himself and came in flesh and dwelt among us. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now this, I want you to understand this passage because, or this text because... This is where a lot of people get misrepresent uh, who Christ is. They think he is, um, you know, he is, he's not eternal. He was born. As our text says, he is firstborn. Uh, in scripture, 
The term firstborn is used throughout through a lot of scripture. Um, take, for example, Exodus 4.22. God calls Israel his firstborn. Jeremiah 31.9. Joseph's secondborn child, Ephraim. God treats him as his firstborn. Psalm 89.27. God says that David will be his firstborn. So throughout scripture, this, this term firstborn is not talking about literally the firstborn um, of, of the woman. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's used as talking about somebody who is high above it all, who's preeminent, who's supreme over all. Christ is above, over, is above he's over all creation. For by him all things were created. How can he be? How can he be firstborn? Literally firstborn? If he was, the, if he's overall creation, it doesn't make sense. He's firstborn. He's eternal. He's the image of the invisible God, and he's over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, and visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him. We see just in this, in, from, first, from verses 15 to 18, we see that Christ is supreme over creation. He's supreme over creation. He's supreme over everything. He's supreme over this church. He's head of the church. Oftentimes, especially when the, um, you know, the voting was going on for who would be the next president, we're all stressed about that. It doesn't matter who's, who's president. It doesn't matter who's king. It doesn't matter who's in this position or that position. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God is sovereign over all of that. We have nothing to fear because we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ is supreme. Again, these, these Colossian believers, or the false teachers are trying to say, hey, you know, Christ isn't enough. He's just one of many gods. He's, there's more to um, spirituality you need to accept Christ, yes, but also do these other things. No, it's not, it's not doing other things. It's Christ and Christ alone. Why do I um, you know, wake up in the morning? Why do I brush my teeth? Why do I read the scriptures? Why do I want to spend time in prayer? It's because of Christ and who he is. I want to spend time with him. I want to know him. Whether visible or invisible, we see things that are visible. You're like, duh, of course you do. We see things that are visible, but, but we don't necessarily see things that are invisible, the spirits, but Christ is over all of that. He's supreme over all of that. And not only is he supreme over it, we were created through him and for him. You were created to honor God. You were created to live a life that is worthy of him. You're not created to, um, you don't do good works in order to gain right standing with God. That cannot be done. That was done through the blood of Christ. You have been transferred to the, from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. If you've repented of your sins and turned to Christ, you are called to, to worship him and to honor him in all that you do. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, verse 17, and in him all, all things hold together. He is before all things in time because he's, he's eternal and he's before all things in power because he is supreme, because he is God. That's the definition of God. Being over all. I love what this says. We Oftentimes in Christianity, we think our religion is different than every other religion. Our God is different than every other God because our God is personal. 
We say that a lot. I'm sure you've said that before. Our God, we worship a personal God. Our God is our friend. Jesus is our friend, whatever. I don't think we understand how personal our God is. Look what it says. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. The reason this pulpit can stand here as it is is because the holy God of the earth, because of the sovereign king of kings, is holding it together with his hand. I love what Spurgeon says. He says this, quote, I believe that every particle of dust that dashes the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. Gardeners, you'll like this. The creeping of an aphis over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of of devastating pestilence. The fall of a sear leaves from a poplar is fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. When you get frustrated, when you're out there trimming your rose bushes and you see the aphises crawling up there and eating your rose bushes, are you like, dang it, I got to go get some ladybugs or whatever to kill these things? Or do you understand that the sovereign God of the universe is in control of every single one of those? We worship a God who holds all things together in the palm of his hands. Nothing is outside of his, of his um, sovereign plan. One of my favorite Psalms, or not Psalms, Proverbs is Proverbs 16. I love talking about the sovereignty of God. It's all throughout the scriptures. We're we're sometimes scared, though, to talk about the sovereignty of God. You know, one of the biggest questions is, is, or the biggest dilemmas is the sovereignty of God and and the the reality of evil. If you struggle with that, I, I would encourage you to read the Joseph story how these, these brothers hated, his, hated Joseph. They threw him in the pit. They did all these things. But at the end of the book, Joseph looks at his brothers who are bowing down before him and says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There is nothing outside of his sovereign plan. Everything he holds together by Christ. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Oftentimes we think, those who come here on a regular basis, we think, oh, this is Pastor Brandon's church or Pastor Kevin's church. Yes, they are put in shepherds of this church, but this church is not his, it's not Brandon's, it's not Kevin's, it's not Mike's, it's, it's, it's God's, it's Christ's. He is the head of the body of the church. And without Christ, if without your head, you're dead. You have no brain, you, you cannot live, you cannot breathe. Without Christ, there's many churches out there who are saying, we are a church, but they don't preach the biblical Christ. Without the biblical Christ, it is not a church. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There again, we see the firstborn, the word firstborn. He is the head of the church and he is the firstborn from the dead. This is not talking about, um, again, him being the firstborn, literally, of the womb. There will be a resurrection of the unjust and the just. Acts 24, 14 says there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. John 5, 29, there will be a resurrection of life uh, for the, and a resurrection of judgment. 
whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, you will one day rise again, either for judgment or for eternal life, eternal death or eternal life. He's saying he's the firstborn from the dead. He's, he's the first to die and to never, or to, to die and to raise and to never die again. That in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is preeminent. Remember Christ. Remember Christ Jesus. He is everything. He is our motivation. He is the reason why we don't stray after false teaching. He is the reason why we don't um, commit things and sins that we know we should not be committed. Why we try to put off the sinful flesh and to put on the righteousness. There's the idea of a garment, putting it on. Why? Why do I want to do this? The Christian life is hard. Oftentimes we want to think that the Christian life will bring us joy and happiness um, in a worldly sense of more money, more cars and things like that, bigger house, uh, that is not the case. It'll bring you true joy and true happiness because we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and nobody can stand against us because of the fact that our sins are forgiven. Our sins are washed away. We are white as snow. Everything, he is, he is preeminent over everything. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you read through this passage again in your, in later, you'll, you'll see that the word all is, is constantly repeated. All things, as well as every and, and fullness. Here we see the word fullness. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The false teachers were teaching that Jesus was, was partially God. He, was, he had, you know, there was a bunch of gods and they're all created. And, and one had a little bit of deity, another one had a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. No, Jesus is, is fully God. He is the fullness of God. It was pleased to dwell in him. Again, he is, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He walked on this earth. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, this is another trouble passage because oftentimes we think that this passage teaches universalism, that, that one day, everybody will one day go to heaven, that hell is not eternal, that, that all will be reconciled. The, the word here, reconciled, means to have a right standing with God. We see it again in verse 22. If you want to look down, he says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, now here, it's, he's not talking about how everybody will be made holy and blameless. That is obviously not the case. There is eternal hell, eternal damnation for those who do not repent and turn to Christ. If you want to flip over me with, with me to Philippians 2, verse 10, there will one day be a final judgment when Christ comes to reign on heaven, in heaven, and, and, or on earth. And he says... Um, you have one of two options. You will bow, bow the knee because willingly because you understand that he is holy and worthy of all honor and praise. Or Philippians 2 verse 10 says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person, whether unbeliever or believer, will one day bow the knee to Christ. Not because they want to, but because they have to, because he is holy and righteous and pure. They cannot stand in his presence because they have not been washed by the blood of Christ. 
One day, all will be reconciled to him. All will have a, a standing with a, a different relationship with God. Whether on earth or in heaven, that's, that's demons or angels. I mean, or humans or demons or spirits or anything, everything will submit to him because again, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is supreme over all. Making peace by the blood of his cross. This same God, this God who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether thrones, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the little cross. The same Jesus who did all that, who is all that, came in the flesh, who burst... Or chapter, uh, Philippians 2 verse 6 says, who through he was in the form of God, or for though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Philippians 2 verse 6, moving on to verse 7, he says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Realizing that, that the God of the universe came in sin, in, he wasn't sinful, came in human flesh and bore our sins, bore my sins on the cross so that I may one day stand before God with confidence knowing that Christ paid it all, not because I cannot stand before him with confidence because of my good works, because my works are like filthy rags. I stand before him with confidence knowing that Jesus paid it all on the cross. He made peace by the blood of his cross. I was once alienated, verse 21, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If Christ doesn't, if that doesn't motivate you, if Christ doesn't motivate you, there's nothing that will. This is the greatest news in the entire world. That this supreme God, this preeminent Christ came in in flesh. He dwelt among us. He felt pain. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was sinless. But he took on my sin, the full wrath of God that that should have been placed on me. He took it upon himself that I can stand here with confidence knowing that I am washed by the blood of Christ. I can stand before the holy God of the universe and say, it's not because of my works, but it's because of his Again, he has, he has transferred us. God has transferred us. He's taken us out of the domain of darkness and delivered us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Remember Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you.
Uh, I think it was Jerry Bridges in, in the 90s. He came out with the term. I'm sure you've heard it before. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Something I've been needing to do the last couple of weeks is preach, my, preach the gospel to myself three times a day. In the morning, waking up, writing out the gospel. What does the gospel mean to me? In the, in the afternoon, what is the gospel? What does the gospel mean to me? What, is it, what kind of impact does it have? I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm bought by the blood of Christ. Before I go to bed, writing out the gospel. The Christian life is hard, but it's so rewarding because we get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He came down to save sinful men. so that he may be honored and glorified. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, that you sent him to die on the cross for sinful men like me. Thank you that he took the full wrath of God that should have been placed on me, but he took it upon himself, dying on the cross, and then rising again, never to die again. Thank you that he holds all things together. He is the sovereign king. You are the sovereign God of the universe. Whom shall I fear? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Father, may that be our motivation. May we not be motivated by thinking we're doing okay in our Christian walk. May we not be motivated by our so-called good works, but maybe we be motivated by your son and who he is and, and his works that, that saved us. Father, may we glorify you in all that we do and say, amen.